Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, December 6th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Markets are betting that the Federal Reserve is going to cut interest rates pretty soon. But economists say, hold your horses. And the U.S. Supreme Court just heard a crucial case that could derail a plan for a wealth tax. This is the most watched tax case at the Supreme Court in many, many decades because we have progressives out there wanting to impose a billionaire's tax, wanting to tax people on their wealth, not necessarily on their income. Plus, Ukraine is cracking down on its country's oligarchs. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Economists and Wall Street are having a bit of a disagreement about when the Federal Reserve will start cutting interest rates. The majority of leading economists think the U.S. Central Bank will hold off on cuts until July of next year at the earliest. That's according to a new FT survey out today. And these economists expect the Fed to lower interest rates by just half a percentage point or less in 2024. But investors think the Fed will start cutting interest rates in March and lower the overall rate by a full percentage point by the end of next year. Now, it's not clear what the Fed is actually going to do. The Fed is kind of mysterious like that. But with inflation falling and job growth stalled, the central bank is definitely grappling with just how long to keep rates elevated. The U.S. Supreme Court heard a case yesterday that could shut down Democrats' attempt to impose a wealth tax. We'll hear an argument this morning in case 22800, Moore versus United States. Mr. Chief Justice. Now, the case itself is a challenge to a one off tax on offshore profits from the Trump administration. But experts say the decision could have a domino effect. They're calling it the most important tax case in decades. The FT's Joe Miller covered the oral arguments yesterday. He joins me now. Hi, Joe. Hello. All right, so before we get into the wider implications, what are the facts of the case itself? Uh, The facts of the case itself are rather mundane. Um, It's about two people from Redmond, Washington, Charles and Kathleen Moore, a couple who invested in an Indian farming company over many years. And because of this tax that was imposed in 2017 under the Trump presidency, uh, they were landed with a roughly $15,000 one-off tax on the profits that the company had made over the years. Uh, they sued the U.S. government for a refund, saying that they had not received the cash that this company had made, and therefore it was unrealized income, and that it was unconstitutional for them to be taxed on that because it hadn't actually landed in their pockets. All right, Joe, so Charles and Kathleen Moore, they definitely care about this, but what are the broader implications of this $15,000 dispute? the impact of this and the reason why you know this is the most watched tax case at the Supreme Court in many, many decades is because we have progressives out there, including President Joe Biden, wanting to impose a billionaire's tax, wanting to tax people on their wealth, not necessarily on their income. And what the justices are being asked to decide here is, does the 16th Amendment preclude the government from taxing people on unrealized gains and what really is the definition of income? How is it measured and how broadly can the federal government apply that definition? So Joe, does the government need to rip up its fiscal plans and start from scratch if the Supreme Court says, 
the government can't tax people on unrealized gains? Probably, but not only that, they probably have to rip up large parts of the existing tax code. In fact, the Solicitor General, who is arguing on behalf of the U.S., warned the court that if they upheld the Moore's challenge, it would cost the government several trillion dollars in lost revenues over the years. But it's fair to say that justices on both sides of the divide probably shared the skepticism towards the Moore's arguments. Uh, we had Justice Sotomayor, who is obviously an Obama appointee, you know, saying that um, what the Supreme Court has been doing for the last hundred years has been studiously avoiding basically narrowing down what this amendment means. Because we recognize that it's dangerous to do that. We then have to come up with a working definition that applies to every piece of property and every way in which people gain wealth. And we even had Samuel Alito of, you know, hardline conservative saying that if we rule in petitioner's favor, then large, important pieces of the tax code will also logically fall. So we got the sense, you know, that um, justices are concerned that this would have repercussions that go way beyond uh, the Moors and their individual complaint. I have to imagine that this would be tough for Democrats, right? Indeed. I mean, the wealth tax has been quite a central pillar of um, Joe Biden's program since he came into office. And it would involve um, taxing, uh, you know, a 25% levy on those with a net worth of more than $100 million. And the Biden administration says that this would allow them to raise hundreds of billions um, of dollars for the U.S. government and enable it, as you say, you know, to fund uh, various pledges. So, yes, it's very much a central pillar of the Biden administration, but also, you know, some fairly prominent Republicans like the former House Speaker Paul Ryan, who helped draft the original Trump Act, uh, come out and say that he thinks that you spike a possible wealth tax. You're also spiking, you know, the ability of the federal government to, to raise money in a whole load of other ways. Joe Miller covers the U.S. legal system for the FT. Thank you, Joe. Thank you very much. Ukraine's oligarchs once dominated the country's economy. They had monopolies on energy and commodities with the help of politicians and the judiciary. But the Russian invasion has upended their grip on power. Ben Hall is the FT's Europe editor. He's been following the fate of these politically influential tycoons, and he joins me now. Hey, Ben. Hello. So tell me a bit about Ukraine's oligarchs before the war started. What sectors did they control? Well, they were across very many sectors. They made their wealth essentially by taking over old Soviet heavy industry and building those companies into more powerful players and eventually into sort of monopoly or at least dominant positions in in the Ukrainian economy. So we're talking about extractive industries, iron ore, coal, gas, and also the media. The oligarchs bought up, created private TV stations and used those as a sort of vector of their influence. It was a way of exercising political influence. And that's how they became so rich. And when did that change, Ben? When did the oligarchs start to lose their influence and wealth? It began to change back in 2014 when Russia annexed Crimea and parts of eastern Ukraine in the Donbass region, which is where a lot of heavy industry, including 
factories and mines owned by the oligarchs. So they started to lose their wealth back in 2014. And obviously that accelerated enormously with Russia's bombardment and invasion of 2022. But they've also lost power in other ways, even before the full-scale invasion. Yeah, Ukraine has been on an anti-corruption campaign for a couple of years now, something that really took off under President Vladimir Zelensky, right? Yes. I mean, Zelensky was elected in 2019 on a pledge to clamp down massively on corruption in Ukraine, including by reducing the power of the oligarchs. And you you can, to a degree, say that the oligarchs were at the pinnacle of this system because they corrupted the state and politics and the judiciary and the public administration in order to maximize their business gains and profits. So, He went after them as a part of a kind of broad brush strategy, which has also been demanded for many years, actually, by Ukraine's supporters, the International Monetary Fund, the EU, and other G7 powers, most notably Washington. And now that Ukraine is very heavily dependent on foreign aid to survive through this war, it is really having to bend over backwards to clamp down on corruption, not least because corruption cases and corruption allegations could be so noxious to its Western support. Yeah, and not only Western support for its war, but as we've talked about on the show before, Ukraine is trying to become a member of the European Union. It's trying to become a member of NATO. And because of that, do you think the oligarchs might be gone for good? You will find very few Ukrainians outside the presidential administration or the government who would say that with any certainty. And I think that's because they've been a feature for most of Ukraine's post-independence period. And also because they're down, but they're not out. Uh, They're still wealthy businessmen with a lot of influence. So I think the answer to that question will really come with time, and it will require Ukraine to put in place independent institutions, but Ukraine has promised to do so and will be expected to do so as part of its accession process to the EU. Ben Hall is the FT's Europe editor. Thanks so much, Ben. Thank you. Before we go, I have some news from our colleagues at FT Weekend magazine. If you live outside the UK like me, it might be tough for you to get your hands on a physical issue of the magazine. But this Saturday, they are putting out a global issue. It'll be printed all over the world. So look out for it in your weekend print subscription, or you can go buy it at your local newsstand. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com for free when you click the links in our show notes. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.